That was Ave Verum by Carl Jenkins. It's now just before 25 minutes to 5 o'clock. My name is Father Russell Pollitt. I'm in this afternoon on Changing Gear for Father Tabo Motshekwa. You can SMS me on 41809 or send me a tweet at rpollitt. S-J, that's R-P-O-L-L-I-T-T-S-J. I'm wanting to find out from you what you think about WhatsApp groups. Are you on WhatsApp groups? Do you like WhatsApp groups? Are your children on WhatsApp groups? Do you like your children being on WhatsApp groups? And do you know what is being said on those groups? Someone says, I hate WhatsApps and WhatsApp groups, and my kids don't have phones. So there's someone, obviously, who is not going to be on a WhatsApp group talking, maybe forced to for something. Do you feel forced to be on a WhatsApp group? Does your company, for example, force you to be on a WhatsApp group? I'd love to hear what you think about that. SMS me 41809 and we will discuss that if we uh, get the chance later on, telling us more about what you think about WhatsApp. Well, coming up now, we're going to speak to Gerald Maidens, who is an occupational therapist. And he really looks at children who have sensory issues in the classroom environment and how best they can be helped. We want to find out what it means to have sensory issues, but we also want to find out how or what ways can these be identified and how can teachers or others help children with those issues. So a very good afternoon to you, Gerald, and welcome to uh, Radio Veritas. To begin with this afternoon, what is sensory intelligence? Good afternoon, Father and the listeners. Um, sensory intelligence is an organization of occupational therapists, and our particular focus is very practical workshops in the education sector, the corporate sector, and the call centers, in which we look at how the sensors that are within our bodies and in the environment around us, how that relationship between ourselves and them is going on, and any effect that it may have environmentally, would we have need a better setup, for example, in our classroom? Are there different techniques that teachers could use? Um, things like that, movement breaks that children would need, all kinds of interventions that are simplistic in nature, but very powerful and carrying on for the children and for adults in their workplaces as well. What are the most common sort of ways that this sensory uh, st- stuff, I don't know what you would call it, but how, how is the sensory things shown in children? I mean, is it that some children are can't sit still, or, or in what ways d- does one detect this? Well, the first thing you look at is teachers will come to you, they will see some behavioral response. And the response will either be what we term active, so you will see something happening from a child, such as you said, fidgeting, concert still. And if they are sensitive to sound, you'll see a child will close their ears off with their hands. And if they are sensitive, for example, to light, they may close their eyes or go towards the dark parts of the classroom. The other way, sometimes the kids that we miss are the ones who have the passive response, where sensations become too much, or they're not getting enough sensory input. And so the child just shuts down. They become very passive, and their participation levels are exceptionally low. So what's critical is is working with teachers, uh, working with parents, teaching assistants, to really get to know critical things that we can look at. Uh, We do workshops where we look at profiling children, 
there are certain patterns that you would look for that would mean certain ways that we could handle these things. Um, it's a process. That's the biggest thing. It's a process of training, consultation, working hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, and in, in sensory intelligence, we very much hands-off. So our focus is with teachers, therapists, parents, for empowering themselves and ultimately the children to put in strategies that are best for them. Now, there's many, ty- there's many different types of occupational therapists. I mean, you know, one hears this word thrown around. Uh, there's some that work in schools and have practices. Uh, what's different between those kinds of therapists and the, and the kind of therapists that you are and that you're talking about? You, occupational therapy in its nature is very wide-ranging. You deal from pre-birth all the way through to the very elderly. Um, it's a very diverse field. And you do get people who are hands-on clinicians where they will work actively with clients, patients, whatever we term them. And they get therapeutic intervention in a setting, which may be a clinical room, a hospital, or in the case of education, often a, a room or the classroom at the school itself. And it's direct therapy with the client. And then there's follow-up that happens with parents and teachers at times as well. As a sensory intelligence consultant, the work is different in that it's not one-on-one work with children directly. It's longer workshops with teachers, with therapists, with assistants. And it's going into classrooms with teachers looking at their physical setup and going around strategies that they can incorporate for all the children in their class and for the differing types of children that they may have. So it's hands-on work with the people who deal with the children themselves. It's empowering them to ultimately empower the children. And that's how this thing's different with it. We're very um, simple in our terminology and our way that we work because uh, you have 45 children in the class and you need at the tip of your fingers some strategies to put in place for five or six different kids in your class. You can't be thinking of long, complex terms, uh, 50 recommendations that may have been given. You need very simplistic things that you've worked through and trained with somebody. So our workshops are very practical. We take people through strategies. We believe that as much as it's about knowing stuff, it's about how do we do it and how do we keep these things going so that more often than not we get it right for ourselves and for the children. This is quite an important issue because I was just thinking you talk about active and passive responses. Now, if a child, for example, puts its hands over its ears or closes its eyes, I mean, maybe 30, 40 years ago, people would have said that child is disobedient, is not concentrating in class. Or maybe if the child is, is, is passive in any way, they could think, oh, well, there's something wrong with this child. Uh, you know, he's being or she's being belligerent or something like that. So this kind of diagnosing this seems to be quite an important thing from what you're saying. I think we've shifted quite a long way from where we were many years ago. I mean, when people were at school a while back, you were either the lazy child who just got pushed to the back who wasn't interested, or you were a problem child. Now what education is is changing, and it's, it's critical that we keep with it, in how can we let children of all diverse profiles, what we call them, how can we let all of these diverse children access the curriculum to the optimum for themselves? Because at the center should be each child. Um, and we can't just have one box in which we want children to fit into, nor can we have one box that we want teachers to fit into, for example, as well. So we work with the teachers as well because their style would also be different from teacher to teacher. And 
in all of these many varieties of profiles, there's enormous strength. There's not strength in just one profile only. And that's what we try and tap into. And what is the best way can we take these profiles, take us forward to access curriculum, learning, education to our fullest potential? So if I am sensitive to sound, there's various places you can put me in a classroom which would be better. For example, if I was teaching, people who know me know that I do have quite a loud voice. So a sensitive child would be better in an auditory sense from being further away from me at the front, so that by the time my voice gets to that child, it's placated a bit. The helping for me would be to be trained that my voice needs to be controlled in certain contexts. It's getting to know my children as well, because for them, then education becomes personal, and they can all attain it. How receptive are schools and educational institutions to uh, what you're talking about? I mean, it seems as if there can be as many theories about education or about learning uh, issues or issues in the classroom as there are people. I mean, are schools taking this kind of issue seriously? I'm I'm finding the schools that I'm working with are are very, very receptive. Um, Our workshops are spent a lot of the time is spent in discussions, bringing up very personal issues, bringing up pertinent things that are actually taking place. Some of the schools we're going back to because they see the value, so they're inviting us for further workshops. We're working closely with staff. I guess it's a case of getting people getting to know the true value of what we have and what we can actually give them. And, and often when you see it in action, it becomes very real. So it's a case of getting that across, and it's going to take us time to get it in there, but the more and more people that we have contact with, the more very positive feedback that we get. We're also an organization that workshops don't stand on their own. Uh, We always invite people to keep that conversation going. We have some of our people in our team who write blogs. We keep guys informed on social media various things like that where they can continue. But the one-on-one face contact is something that is has a lot of power. I recently last year went to Angola and worked at a school where we looked at how the classrooms are physically set out. Now, there's a lot of emphasis for e-learning and doing these things on Skype and technology. But when you're physically in a space, you get to feel it on all your senses. Then you can give much better advice as to how changes can happen as opposed to looking at it from a screen. And then you also get that personal touch with people, which is something that is very, very profound in our job that we do in sensory intelligence. The contact with people is critical. Um, and we can take it on any sphere we want. We're on a church talk show. If you look at in the church, the face-to-face contact is something that is critical to how we will move forward. And so for us, that's our core message. Now, in times gone by, and... I've heard this debate many, many times when there were issues in the classroom. Uh, the ADHD label was always pulled out. I think it's ADHD. And then uh, there was also the question of does one make a, a sort of chemical drug intervention uh, to help children? In the work that you do, is that also part of uh, maybe helping a child? Or does this really stay away from any sort of drug intervention? We we don't do any drug intervention. We're not allowed to. We're not trained for that. But there are cases where drug intervention is necessary. And where correct procedures have been followed, you have to support that. 
Um, we come from a slightly different angle where our role will support that kind of thing because with the drug intervention, it will give a certain set of consequences that will come, but it's more than that that's needed as well. And so it doesn't just cure everything that may have presented. If it's a concentration issue, for example, that does need drugs in order to allow the child to concentrate, there may well be skills that would have been lost over the years in which the child was unable to concentrate fully. And that's where therapists would come in because they would be filling those gaps. So it's a very fine line sometimes to trade. People want us to make a comment on whether someone should or shouldn't have, and that's not our decision to make. That's in the hands of the professionals who handle that. We always advise that it's an ongoing process that needs continual discussion from all the people who deal with the children. There's no good just sending one person's perspective to a professional to make a decision on that. It needs everybody. We're very pleased when there are professionals who will want to hear what the parents have to say, what the teachers have to say, and what any therapists working with the children have to say. We do have a workshop on ADHD, and we talk very clearly about the discrepancy between that and the sensory issue, where they also overlap, and how they can be common ground in terms of intervention for both children on those parameters, if we wish to call it that. Now, what happens for parents who perhaps are listening and are saying, I I recognize some of the things you've spoken about and maybe the school has given me very different advice uh, about my child. Uh, who can they contact? What can they do? Where can they go? Um, it's interesting. We, at the moment, are we one of our earliest uh, establishments was our parenting workshops that we do. And we're very keen on those happening. We also have a, we are starting, we have a parent consultant on our team where people are welcome to visit our website or they can, and on that they can get, they will see that I'm there and they're welcome to email me and I can point them in the right direction. Um, it's often good to pick up a phone and chat to somebody who sometimes is removed um, because when you're not emotionally involved, we're able to come from a different perspective sometimes. And I think that might be a very good port of call. Schools have very good therapists based out there as well. Um, and teachers are also good ears for people to go and have an honest chat to. But sometimes parents feel that they would like to chat to somebody outside of a school environment, and they're welcome to contact us in our capacity as sensory intelligence people. Um, and like I say, we do have a person who is dedicated towards helping the parents along in a more one-on-one context. And then also we are trying to get more parenting workshops out there So hopefully those will become more and more evident as we go forward in the year. Because those are critical times where parents can come together and share with other parents about how it is to raise children. Because in that vocation, it's very difficult sometimes. And you sometimes feel you're the only one dealing with these concerns. And then talking with parents, where it's being facilitated by professionals, often one of the best ways to share and come up with solutions and also that you don't end up feeling bad about about yourself as a parent. Yeah, because I think that's perhaps always the thing of what have I done wrong as the parent. I mean, that could that could be the default that parents go to. Gerald, um, give us a contact number to get hold of Sensory Intelligence. Maybe there's somebody who's listening who would like to know more and would like to make contact. Who can they contact? Is there a telephone number, a web address? The, the best way is to go onto our website, um, which is www dot sensoryintelligence dot co dot za 
and they'll see there is a general um, email that they can get onto on there, and they can email there. That will be the best way, and then all the information can be sent on. So that's one word, sensoryintelligence.co.za, S-E-N-S-O-R-Y-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-C-E.co.za to find out more about issues around sensory intelligence. Thank you very much to Gerald Maidens. Thank you very much, Father. It's now nine minutes uh, to five o'clock. We've just been talking to Gerald Maidens, who is an occupational therapist dealing with issues around sensory intelligence for children. Just before that, we were looking at Pope Francis's world communications message for 2018, which was about fake news. We live in an era now where fake news has been thrown around many times by the U.S. president, even at times accusing big news agencies that people trust in, like the New York Times or CNN, as being fake news. I asked the question at the beginning of the show about WhatsApp groups. I mean, are you on a WhatsApp group? Does your child's class have a WhatsApp group? Are you on a WhatsApp group for work? Are you forced to be on a WhatsApp group for work? Uh, What do you think of these WhatsApp groups? I mean, don't they drive you crazy? I find at times that they do drive me crazy, especially when people are having conversations that I'm not really interested in. More importantly, are your children on WhatsApp groups? And do you know who is on the group with them? I'm looking for your feedback, your thoughts about that. You can SMS me on 41809. Uh, Somebody has SMS to say, I've simply muted them. So they've turned off those groups. That means the group is still running and that uh, maybe you're not getting every single notification when someone says something, but the group is still on your phone. And somebody else tells me that WhatsApp groups are from the devil. Your thoughts about WhatsApp groups. SMS me 41809. It is now eight minutes, almost seven minutes, to five o'clock.